0: MMA on the rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode number 89. Today is Sunday, April the 22nd. I'm sitting in my bar because for some reason the computer wasn't working in my studio. So we got to improvise here and helping me figure this thing out as usual, all the way from New Jersey, where we just had a pretty awesome UFC card is Jeff, the animal Wilson, Jeff. Hopefully you're not as frustrated as me with uh, <laughs> all these technical difficulties we've been experiencing. Other than all this, how are you doing this evening, my friend?
1: I'm awesome, Bill. I'm getting some work done for the week, but I still can't get over this awesome card we had last night.
0: Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty epic. Um, before we get into it, I want to talk to you about some alcohol-related business because I'm pretty amped up because I just came from a really cool distillery here in Florida that I had no idea existed and I'm really happy I found it. We took the baby for our first kind of weekend getaway this weekend. We went up to Homosassa. But Homosassa is the place uh here in Florida on the west coast where all of the manatees migrate when the when the water gets too warm because they like the water a little bit colder. So there's a lot of natural springs there and the The water is always the same temperature, So all the manatees come in there. So we went, we went up there, took the baby. We went to like a nature preserve where they have the manatees and they have alligators and all like local animals and cool stuff like that. And you know me, Jeff, I'm always looking for the local breweries, uh, local distilleries, everything like that. So I went to a local brewery up there called marker 48 and they were good. They had some, some really solid beers and they have like a really cool little spot there like a really cool like brewery vibe but what i'm more excited about is the distillery i found and it it was an adventure finding this place because the gps takes you uh basically a way that's impossible to go because it's on roads that don't exist on a map so i had to call the place and get directions the old-fashioned way and it takes you to this basically unpaved road that you go through like a nature preserve and then you go down this unpaved road and you follow it for like 15 minutes into the wilderness. So I definitely thought I was going to get murdered, Jeff, but you know, if, if there's a, even a chance of whiskey, I'm going to risk a potential murder 10 times out of 10. <laughs> so <laughs> luckily, <laughs> luckily this paid off. So we get there enjoy distillery the letter N J O Y. And it's just a big farm. It sits in the middle of, I believe, 40,000 acres of wildlife preserve. And then the farm itself is 80 acres. So we parked the car. I had, we had the baby, we had the dog. And, um, it's just a husband and wife that, that run this whole operation, Jeff. And they do whiskey, rum and moonshine. And then they make some other stuff. They make like uh, wildflower honey and, and other things like that. Uh, to save you the suspense, Jeff, I bought all three bottles because <laughs> all of the booze was awesome. And usually if I go on a distillery tour or something like that, I'll maybe buy one bottle, but everything was so good. So I had to take everything with me. And here's the amazing part about this, Jeff, the the booze is basically self-sustained on this farm. They make everything there, they collect rainwater and filter it with a, with a mill. They have this giant mill that, that circulates the rainwater through a filter and they filter it three times. It's a rye whiskey that they make and they grow their own rye grains. So they, they grow them in this giant field and the guy, his name is Kevin. He goes out with a scythe, you know, like one of those big grim reaper sorts and he cuts everything down by hand. And then he distills the whiskey in copper pots. Everything is totally handmade. And up to a certain point, they were even hand-filling the bottles. He would put it in, like, a graduated cylinder and, and measure it out and fill the bottles. So his wife gave us a tour and showed us all the equipment. They're just upgrading everything, which is really cool because the whiskey's awesome. So obviously you're going to want to hear that they're making more of it, but it's just so awesome that they grow everything there and they use the, the rainwater and collect it and filter it out. And the farm is really cool too. They got a couple of horses and there's a big pond in the middle. Um, they're, they're just starting to to host weddings there, Jeff. So if you're ever thinking about time and then not, I, I would recommend, uh, checking out the enjoy distillery. So, um, <clears throat> I was saying they grow the rye there and, they make the rye whiskey out of it. And here's a bottle I'm holding up here for those viewing on YouTube. Don't forget we're on YouTube. If you guys prefer video and if you like podcasts, then just listen to the podcast because that's kind of what I do. I don't, I don't really watch on YouTube, but when I ask, you know, most people prefer YouTube. So that's why we do this. So I'm holding up a glass here. I've been sipping on this a little bit. Uh, Maybe I've been sipping on it a little bit more aggressively because we were having some computer issues, but It's a really nice ride, Jeff. It's a hundred proof, but it doesn't drink like a hundred proof. It doesn't have that real harsh burn. And, And that's because they really take like the middle of the mash, so to speak. I can't explain it as eloquently as they can, but, uh, you know, they really take their time and pick out, uh, you know, only the, the best part. So if they make, if they make a gallon, they're only taking out like the middle 20% and then they get rid of the rest. Whereas some Uh, you know, bigger companies will kind of mix in the crap, uh, to dilute it a little bit. Uh, so they also make a rum. It's called mermaid rum. And as we know, Jeff rum is made from sugar. So they grow their cane sugar there too. So same thing. They grow all the sugar, they cut it down and they turn it into rum. So, and then they also have a moonshine, which is uh, a little bit sweet. It's got kind of a licorice taste to it. Uh, it does not burn like a moonshine at all. I was actually really surprised, and you know, I like the occasional moonshine, but you know, most of it—if if you pour it in a lake, the fish would start floating to the top. This is not the case uh, with the uh, the moonshine here. But uh, right now, I'm drinking the whiskey. It's the Wild Buck Rye whiskey, and it's got a really nice, smooth flavor. Uh, I'm doing it in a sifter with a single ice cube, which is the way you know I recommend most whiskeys or bourbons or scotch uh you know single ice cube or just a little splash of water and uh it's got a really nice finish because it's rye it's a little bit spicy so it it kind of leaves the the spice on the palate after you drink it but it's it's exceptionally smooth for a rye as well cuz sometimes they could be a little a little too spice heavy and then with the burn and everything it makes it kind of rough but this is super smooth. Um, you know, they won uh, a bunch of awards, and I'm really glad to see that they're expanding. And definitely check them out. As of right now, they only distribute in Florida and Georgia. So you've got to be in Florida to get a hold of this. But, you know, they do distribute to Total Wine, which is a big uh, liquor store down here, as well as ABC and Publix, which is the supermarket here in Florida that always has a liquor store attached to it. So, uh, great things on the horizon for them. I'm glad to see that they're increasing, uh, you know, their production there. It was really cool that they, they took the time. It wasn't even really a tour because we were the only people there. So, you know, they just kind of showed us around and we, we hung out and you know, you can go there and get some samples and they, they do parties and events and stuff there and, and they're expanding it. They're going to be, you know, making it like a chill spot with, with games and everything like that. So keep your eye out for the enjoy distillery because, uh, you'll probably be hearing about them, uh, in a couple of years, I would think they're, they're still pretty young. They've only been doing this for a few years now. And I I think they really took their time to do the, the small batch thing. Right. And Uh, you know, wish them all to success. It was really a cool experience. I definitely plan to go back. Uh, Maybe when you come down and visit Jeff, uh, I'll bring you up there. It's only about an hour from where I live here in Safety Harbor. So did that on the way home today. And I was really excited to talk about it on the show until the computer wasn't working. In any case, Jeff, have I piqued your interest at all? Yeah, dude. It sounds
1: awesome. I love the small operation they got going, but it sounds like they're expanding, which is awesome. I love, you know, small businesses or mom and pop shops, stuff like that. So dude, I think it sounds awesome. And it's just the amount of time and care that they take into it, that they put into it. You, you can't replicate that through one of these bigger companies, which is something I love, man.
0: Yeah. It's really awesome. Whenever you see people who are really passionate about their craft and the things that they make. And and then you could tell that they're even passionate about the space that they're making these things in. Like, they built a lot of this farm themselves, and they had, like, this uh, – their tasting room or what's going to be their tasting room where they're building the bar, they had this giant – it looks like a bank vault door – and he made it into like a barn style door. He put it up on a track and it, it slides closed and everything, but it's got like the big dial on it, like a bank safe. Um, you know, and that, that was just one aspect of the place. Like they, they put a really cool touch on everything there and really made a unique space and a unique product. And it's awesome. So uh, I definitely enjoy uh, supporting you know, the local craftsmen like this. So, uh, check them out on social media. Just look them up on the internet and joy and you know, they're on Facebook and Instagram as well. And I'll share out some of their posts later, uh, on the social media anyway, Jeff. So while I'm winding down, uh, with my wild buck, rye whiskey here, why don't we get into this awesome fight card from UFC Atlantic city? last night which was fight night 128 and it was headlined by lightweights kevin lee and edson barbosa and i hate to start out on a negative jeff but you know how much i can't stand when fighters don't make weight so kevin lee missed weight and you know he was apologetic and everything but he didn't even really have a reason he was like oh i mistimed it and my scale was off from the official scale and like whatever other bullshit he has and you know, he had a hard time making weight with the Tony Ferguson fight, which that I can understand because he had the staff infection, which, you know, really affects your ability to do anything. For those who have ever had staff, uh, you don't even feel like getting out of bed. It's, it's a miserable, miserable experience. So, you know, that was his pass, in my opinion. This one, I think probably cost him a title shot because with the dominant performance he had over Edson Barbosa, he could have made a case for getting their next crack at Khabib, but uh, he blew it because you can't give a guy a title shot when he doesn't make weight. Uh, So let's start there, Jeff. What were your thoughts about Kevin Lee missing weight?
1: Yeah, Bill, I'm under the theory that everybody gets one, Bill. You get one time to mess up. And this was Kevin Lee's time to mess up. But I was a little disappointed because after the fact, he was talking smack that, you know, Eddie Alvarez is a fat piece of shit and he couldn't make weight um, on, what was it, like six days notice. But Kevin Lee couldn't make weight with a full camp. So, (laughs) I don't know. I don't don't know where it
0: gets off. When you put it that way, it's really funny. And yeah, um, Eddie Alvarez is notorious for, he likes to blow up in between fights. And he didn't have anything on the horizon so he likes, you know, he likes to get big. He likes to you know, put on muscle in between camps and things like that. Um, and I, I heard an interview with Eddie Alvarez actually, uh, he, cause he was at the fights last night. So they interviewed him and they said, you know, Dustin Poirier said you, you turned down a fight with him. And he, Eddie said, I didn't turn down a fight with him. I accepted a fight with Justin Gaethje for more money. And I accepted coaching on the ultimate fighter for more money. Uh, to do better for my family, he's like. So I wasn't ducking Dustin Poirier. He's he's like. I took the better opportunity with a higher ranked opponent. Uh, that was a more high profile fight. And you know when he put it that way, uh, it made a lot of sense. But in any case, uh, as annoyed as I am with Kevin Lee for missing weight and then you know talking shit about other guys who who aren't on weight uh which i don't like i do like his trash talk i do like his style of promoting fights and I, I really love the way he fights so let's get into that because he dominated edson barbosa uh with the exception of the third round um which you could argue that barbosa won uh you you could you could argue that every other round was a 10-8 for uh kevin lee uh, one of them You know, that second round might have even been a 10-7 under the new rule set. Uh, Really dominant. What were your thoughts on this fight as a whole, Jeff?
1: Bill, this was an awesome display from Kevin Lee. He looked dominant up until that kick in the third round, which just shows Barboza's toughness, man. For him to be able to pull something like that out of his locker after the beating that he took in the first two rounds, excuse me, speaks a lot to Barbosa's toughness and heart as a fighter. Um, You know, he's taken back-to-back ass whoopings, for lack of a better term. And, you know, he's still ticking. So all respect in the world to Barbosa. But, dude, I think this was a crescendo for Kevin Lee, man. I think this was a culmination of his training and his UFC career and experience, except for that third round, dude. He looked flawless in there.
0: Yeah. Uh, So in that third round, Barbosa hit him with... A wheel kick, a spinning wheel kick, out of nowhere, uh, that that really put Kevin Lee on wobbly legs. He looked like a newborn giraffe. Like I, I know there's probably a ton of memes about this already, but if you've ever seen a giraffe being born, they can basically walk right out of the womb, but they kind of wobble around like a drunk teenager first, and that's what Kevin Lee looked like. He took several wobbly steps and. I can't understand why Barbosa shot on him at that point. That was really baffling to me. You know, maybe he was just exhausted. He didn't want to throw any more punches. But um well, actually he had the stuff to take down from Kevin Lee, but then he had Kevin hurt and then he shot, if I'm remembering this correctly. In any case, uh, it was a really exciting fight overall and i think a lot of people are talking about Edson Barbosa's takedown defense i don't think that's really the issue here i think he just fought two really really high level grapplers in a row uh kabib obviously is the most devastating grappler in the division and kevin lee has a wrestling background but he only wrestled for mma and i feel like he's one of the best mma grapplers um probably in the ufc he he's the way he strings together his combinations with his takedowns and, and locks up his takedowns so clean is really impressive. Um and it's probably the next level of MMA wrestling. Um so in any case, I, I don't think I don't think you can really shit on Barbosa's takedown defense too much. I, I think he probably does have really good defense. It's just it doesn't look like it against these guys, and I think as we see more fights from Kevin Lee at only 25 years old, uh, we're going to see that he could probably take down most guys in these in this division. And I'm actually really interested in a fight between him and Khabib, just not right now because he missed weight. I don't want to see him get a title shot. I'd like to see him uh, fight another top opponent. As for Barbosa, uh, you know him and Justin Gaethje are both coming off of two straight losses. I would like to see them both take some time off and then maybe make that fight happen because those two will stand in front of each other and that will be straight fireworks for as long as it lasts. So, um, I think that's the fight to make with those two. As for Kevin Lee, I don't know. Maybe he sits out for a bit. Maybe a rematch with Al Aquinta would be appropriate. Uh, since Al's, uh, you know, coming off, stepping up against Khabib. Um, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think the title shot should probably go to Dustin Poirier. I don't think that's a very marketable fight. Uh, I know Poirier needs some time to heal up. Um, I feel like Khabib is a huge name in Russia, but as far as getting the casual fans in, I don't think he's there yet. Uh, I think hardcore fans can easily convince casuals to tune in for Khabib, but he has to have the right dance partner. So I know I just threw a lot at you, Jeff. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's next for Barbosa and what's next for Kevin Lee?
1: Yeah, dude, I agree. I like the Barbosa Gaethje matchup. I think that's fireworks. I think that's you know, I think that's poetry in motion. And as for Kevin Lee, I would not want to see him fight Khabib yet. I don't think he's a big enough draw. I'd actually like to see him get it on with um, what's his face. Eddie Alvarez, I think that would be an awesome matchup. Uh, They kind of already got the pot stirring a little bit there. And as for the title picture, um, if the UFC wants to make money, while I don't condone this, you're starting to make me think in a marketing perspective, Bill. So I would say that if you want this, uh, what is it? Uh, This is the lightweight division, right? Yep. Yeah. So... If you want this lightweight division to get eyes on it, you've got to make the Khabib-Connor fight happen.
0: Yeah. So I, I'm going off the assumption on that whole rant I went on. I'm going off the assumption that Connor's going to be on the sideline, whether he you know, gets in trouble with his visa or he gets prison time, which I find unlikely, or he just gets a suspension. I'm just assuming he's on the sidelines. I'm also assuming that Tony Ferguson is going to take a while to recover uh, from his knee surgery. So You know, there's a lot of things up in the air. There's also a lot of possibilities. You know, it's not a bad problem to have when you have so many competitors that you could throw into a title fight. You could absolutely throw Eddie Alvarez into a title fight right now. Um, You know, he's coming off uh, a knockout of Justin Gaethje in a really exciting fight, and he's a former champion. So I think that automatically bumps you to the top of the line. I think Dustin Poirier is definitely deserving of a title shot. I really love his story. And you know you have to admire the blue collar guy who comes up and busts his ass, and he's been through so much adversity in his life, and he's been fighting forever, and he's really earned it. You'd love to see him get that opportunity, but from the marketing perspective that uh, I'm always thinking about, Jeff, and that you mentioned, I just don't see the UFC biting on it. Hopefully, they do. Um, if they do, I don't. I don't see that fight headlining a pay per view maybe a fight night or co-main event, uh, to, uh, some other weight class. Uh, but all, all those, uh, all those titles are, are pretty much lined up right now. So I think we're going to have to wait until late fall before we see, uh, any, any needle movement, uh, on this lightweight division, which is unfortunate, but it's exciting at the same time because you have so many guys who are are right on the cusp of greatness. And and so many of these guys, it's like any one of them could be the champion on any given night. Uh, and that's what makes it the most exciting division in the sport, in my opinion. So uh, speaking of exciting, two fighters who are always exciting, Frankie Edgar and Cub Swanson in a rematch last night. A lot of people were skeptical, uh, including you and I, because Frankie Edgar was knocked out barely uh, a month ago. Uh, by Brian Ortega, and he claims he wasn't concussed, and he was fine, and it didn't affect him. Uh, His performance seems to kind of back up all those statements. Uh, He looked really crisp against Cub Swanson and and just battered him for three rounds. It wasn't like the first fight where he took him down a lot and punished him. Uh, He beat him on the feet this time, which eh, if you had told most people, you know, most hardcore fans that this fight was going to stay on the feet, they would probably think that Cub Swanson would get the better of it, especially since, you know, he's had more rest and Frankie's coming off that nasty knockout. But what did you think of Frankie Eggers' performance last night in Dirty Jersey, Jeff?
1: Hey, it looked like another day at the office for Frankie, man. His head movement was good, footwork was good, hands were, I was actually a little surprised at how fast his hands were compared to cup Swanson. I think that they were on par with him. And like you said, man, cup Swanson's a tough dude on the feet. It looked like he had a little bit of a length advantage. Um, And dude, I mean, Frankie looked good. Cup Swanson looked good. So I thought this was an interesting style matchup. And, you know, Frankie went out there and just took care of business.
0: Yeah. um, I I thought he looked great. And, you know, stepping in so quick, you, you got to admire his toughness, but you you also can't help but be concerned with him. My whole Twitter feed last night, Jeff, going into this fight is, these are two of my favorite fighters. I don't want to see either one of them lose. And it, it's kind of awesome. Uh, it, in a community, in the, the MMA community that is so bitter and so butthurt about everything most of the time, uh, it was kind of awesome to see that kind of positivity where it's like, Oh, I, l- I really like both of these guys because most of the time I think that, uh, you know, a lot of these people don't like anything <laughs> because all they do is complain. Uh, so it was kind of cool to see that. And then uh, a great fight. Um, I don't think Cub Swanson loses much stock here. He just, you know, he just re-signed his contract. I think he just needs to go back and, and maybe reevaluate some things and, and uh, I, I don't know, make, make some changes in his training or, or something. I don't know what he does here, but I know he doesn't go away. And for Frankie Edgar, he wants to sit on the sidelines and wait for the winner of Ortega and Holloway. I can't really see denying him that uh, after everything he's done for the company and he's been, you, you know, such a, such a solid guy for the UFC for so long. Uh, you, you know, let's see if he gets it. I, I hope so. I don't see any reason not to give it to him because you have the the potential for uh you know an awesome kind of trifecta at the top of the Featherweight division now. You know if if Holloway beats Ortega, then you have Frankie versus Holloway, which is a fight that they tried to make a couple of times and is a really awesome fight. I would love to see that one. And if Ortega wins, then you have the remat the rematch. So uh what, what are your thoughts on all of this, Jeff?
1: Yeah, dude, as for Frankie i would enjoy seeing him fight max holloway um or the rematch with brian ortega you know um that first loss was pretty heavy i think that it definitely um affected him psychologically so for him to be able to replay that one and get the win i think would help him immensely um but you know we you know he doesn't lose any stock um you know despite the loss and as for cub swanson I would actually like to see him maybe move up a weight class, see what he can do at uh, at lightweight.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Uh, I mean, Cove did look really big against there, uh, against Frankie in there, but you know, it's also been said that Frankie could easily make 135. I know when he was fighting at lightweight, he didn't even cut any weight. That's about what he walks around at, at 155. That's interesting. Uh, there could be some... You know, there could be some room for Cub Swanson to sneak in there at lightweight. I mean, that's a really busy division. There's a lot of shit going on in there. But, you know, there's also a lot of people who need fights in there. Uh, A Cub Swanson-Nate Diaz fight would be amazing, but would probably never happen. Um, But that would be something really cool. Uh, Maybe we could do Cub Swanson-Michael Johnson, uh, something like that. That would be a fun fight. Although, I think Michael Johnson moved down to featherweight, didn't he? I think he his last fight at featherweight. I don't know. In any case, if he's still at lightweight, uh, let's make Cub Swanson and Michael Johnson happen there. That would be fucking fun. I don't know I think about it. We're just kind of riffing here. Any other thoughts on the uh, Swanson and Edgar fight, Jeff?
1: Yeah, dude. Um, like I said, it was just another day at the office. And, you know, as for this title picture, like I said, Frankie Holloway sounds awesome. And if not, I am sure Frankie wants to take Uh, that loss back from uh, what's his name from Brian Ortega? So, yeah, um, but Bill, I mean, you know, if we're talking about this fight, I really, really liked Frankie's footwork, his hand speed, his head movement. I feel like you, we didn't really get to see that against Brian Ortega. If that was your first Frankie Edgar fight, you probably wouldn't think much of it, but Frankie's, you know, um, Striking has improved so much with Mark Henry and I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. So I'd love to see Edgar, you know, in the right state of mind, uh, ready for a fighter like Brian Ortega, because remember he took that fight on only a few days notice. So, you know, with Edgar actually preparing for Brian Ortega, I would love to see how that goes again in the rematch.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, that sounds awesome. And I I I don't see it going any other way. I feel like the UFC will kind of let Frankie, uh, you know, take the winner of that, and that fight happens in June, I believe, which is just around the corner. Uh, you know, April flew by like it was nothing. I'm sure um, May will do the same, and then uh, you know we're on to that fight. So before that, I don't want to spend too much time on this. We had a couple of heavyweights, uh, Justin Willis and Chase Sherman. Justin Willis is one of these uh, freaks of nature. He's a really big, fat heavyweight who moves really fast and is super athletic. (laughs) And uh, I, I, I want to like him, but um, it seems like, you know, if he doesn't knock you out early, he just kind of gases out and then, you know, rides the wave in. And I I don't really like to see that from guys. I I would like to see him, you know, I I like the whole, you know, I'm a big fat guy and I'll still whip your ass thing um it's a cool gimmick you know roy nelson pulled it off for the longest time i'd like to see willis you know trim down a little bit and and put on some lean muscle and and really do some damage in this heavyweight division because uh you know he was he was tagging up uh chase sherman all night and couldn't couldn't seem to put him away and chase sherman has a good chin but um you know, I feel like if he had a little more in the gas tank, he would have gotten the finish and it wouldn't have been such a dreary third round in which chase Sherman almost made a comeback. So, uh, what were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff?
1: Yeah, dude. Um, I think chase Sherman is a tough dude. So I feel like Justin Willis did pretty well. He looked impressive in the first and second rounds. He was hitting him with some heavy punches and, you know, credit to Chase Sherman's chin, uh, chin. I mean, he took some punishment in that fight, and I was really surprised that he didn't go down, They didn't get finished. So all the credit in the world to both Chase Sherman and Justin Willis. But um, I agree with you, man. I'd like to see Willis, you know, kind of get his cardio up a little bit. I feel like he had a few chances to finish Sherman despite his tough chin.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's out there. I think he's out there in a good camp. I uh, I believe he's in San Jose. I don't know if he's with AKA. Yeah, he is with AKA. So I I would like to see them, uh, you know, get him uh, on a really good regimen. He's on an awesome win streak. He's got three wins in a row in the UFC. So it's only a matter of time before they start putting him in there with some killers. So um, he better get that cardio in order. And at the same time, you know, the heavyweight division is, is kind of ripe for the picking here because it's a lot older. So there's going to be a big changing of the guard soon. And, you know, Willis, isn't the youngest guy. He's 30, uh, which for any other division, you, you, you'd you want to like hurry up and get a title shot soon. But for heavyweight, that's the spring chicken. Uh, so yeah, I, I would like to see that for Chase Sherman. Um, maybe he's been a little bit too active. Uh, and it seems like from, from the interviews I've heard with him, he just doesn't, he just doesn't have all of his training kind of nailed down yet. He's, he's like, yeah, I've been, you know, going back to my football weightlifting and it's helped with my power and things like that. It's like, uh, I think you gotta, uh, you know, who am I to say, but I, I think you gotta kind of like stick with MMA training and train with MMA trainers, get an MMA strength and conditioning coach. Um you know, it's always comfortable to go to what you know. So he was a football player. I guess the football weightlifting helps, but, uh, I would like to see him just kind of stick to a gym. And I know he travels a lot to train. Uh, I don't see that being too beneficial. You gotta, you know, move somewhere where you have a gym close by and consistency. And I think, you know, the most successful fighters have that, uh, in, in their careers, you know, some of the biggest name fighters, they've been at the same gym forever. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's comfortable for them, but it's all MMA-focused. You know, we've seen a lot of these guys that do, like, CrossFit and, and whatever else, and it, none of it helps. Um, in any case, uh, let's move on down this card. So the shock of the night, in my opinion, was the KO of Tiago Santos uh, by David Branch. And David Branch is one of these guys who I believe is so unassuming, you know, he just doesn't seem like a killer. He seems like just a nice guy, but you know, he's Hensel Gracie black belt. He's got knockout power as we saw last night. Uh, and as we saw against Luke Rockhold, you know, he almost finished Luke Rockhold in his last fight. Um, I, I was shocked to see this uh, KO in the first round. I thought if it was going to end in a KO, it would be uh, Santos uh, or if branch was going to get a KO, it would be later in the fight. Uh, when Santos was gassed out, but you know, he caught him when they were both pretty fresh. Uh, it, it was, it was an awesome knockout and definitely the the shock of the night for me. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff?
1: Bill, super impressed with excuse me with both of these guys over their last couple of fights tiago tiago santos obviously a killer in this division he's got a lot of power in both of his hands if you couldn't tell that just look at his tattoo on his chest dude he's got a hammer on his chest (laughs) so hammers for hands hammer on his chest it makes sense but anyway um yeah i'm kind of with you on this one i thought that if it was going to be a ko would be for Santos and it would be probably earlier on and i thought that david branch would have to grind it out a little bit um probably go for some takedowns and win rounds and uh, you know i'll be damned because dude branch came out there just was uh took a little bit of punishment but then got in santos face and hit him with a looping overhand right while he slipped to his left so you know super interesting and dude i've been a fan of david branch for a while but even as a fan of his and following him while he was in the world series of fighting i really thought he was the underdog going into this fight so uh i think a friend of mine bet on david branch so he, he's
0: walking home with quite a little bit of money today bill nice smart move smart move um so uh I don't want to spend too much time on this either. Aljamain Sterling gets the decision over the previously undefeated Brett Johns. Uh, I thought Aljo looked great in this fight. Uh, definitely better than he's looked in a while, but I think he celebrated the victory a little bit too much. I, I know he was really excited, you know, it's close to hometown fight for him. And the coach just got inducted to the hall of fame, but, uh, you know, he was fighting an unranked guy. Granted, it was an undefeated unranked guy, but, Uh, you know, I, I think, I think celebrating a victory like this too much, uh, could be detrimental because then you get back in there. Uh, it's good to have confidence, but I I would be worried to see him get in there with like a dominant Cruz, who is who he called out at the end of this. Um, but overall, I don't want to take anything away from his performance. A great performance by Aljo against a really tough guy and Brett Johns, who is really crafty with his submissions, but. There was just no threat of submission. Every time uh, Aljo got him down, he, he just smothered him. It was a really great performance. Your thoughts on this one, Jeff?
1: Yeah, dude. Uh, for Aljo, it kind of just looked like another day at the office. He looked good on the feet, really solid on the ground. It didn't look like he had too many problems there. And, you know, Brett Johns, this is, uh, I think, his second or third fight in the UFC. So. Uh, I think it was pretty expected that Sterling would win here, and dude, uh, just to um, kind of sidetrack for a little bit, I was a little disappointed with Paul Felder's uh, announcing during this one. I felt like he kind of put himself too much into this, and talking about some of his training, and, and I think he's trained with Aljo before, but... I think he was telling a personal story at one point, and it mm-hmm. just seemed like you know I don't want to hear that on a broadcast. I kind of just want to hear you talk about the fights and what's going on in front of you, you know. Um, but do you have any thoughts on that, Bill? On the whole, uh, I don't know if you noticed it, but it's just some stuff I picked up on with Paul Felder.
0: Uh, I didn't. I, I was watching. Uh, I was watching it on my iPad, like out outdoors, and I had the volume down pretty low. I, I wasn't paying too close attention to the broadcast, but I did listen to it. Uh, I didn't mind Felder and who's the other guy Fitz Fitzgerald um yeah, I, think I I thought they had an okay chemistry I think what probably could have been the problem was that this was a really long card um with, with quite a few decisions so he, he, I don't think Felder's been in that position before where he's had to talk so much so I can I can definitely empathize with that where you know, you got to kind of just like, you feel like you need to just keep talking. So maybe, uh, you know, he just needs to get his sea legs under him a little bit more. Uh, for the most part, I enjoyed his broadcast. My favorite part of the broadcast was, uh, Dan hooker, uh, calling him out <laughs> in the, in the, uh, post fight. Uh, so Dan hooker knocks out, uh, Jim Miller with a, a nasty knee. It was, it was hard to watch Jim Miller, uh, take a nasty shot like that. But then he, calls out the guy interviewing him in Paul Felder, which I feel like that's got to be a first time that's ever happened. Um, I can't think of another time it has. Uh, If if you can think of one, Jeff, let me know. Or if you can think of one, uh, if you're listening to this, then tweet it to me. But this has to be a first, no?
1: Yeah, I think so. But, dude, uh, getting into Dan Hooker's performance, I was impressed, man. He looked like he's done this a thousand times. And he just waited, just waited to see an opening and then just blasted Jim Miller with a knee and on the way down, caught him with an uppercut super, uh, kind of, it kind of worried me for Jim Miller. Um, but just to re- really, quick talk about the Paul Felder thing. Yeah, dude. And I thought that hooker was so respectful after the win, he didn't go crazy celebrating. He went into a neutral corner and just, you know, hung out. And even the way he asked Paul Felder for the fight was super respectful. And Paul Felder, this I got to commend him for. He was super professional. Excuse me. He said, hey, you know, if if the matchmakers want to make it, you know, let's do it. And then just left it at that. So super professional for both of these guys.
0: Yeah. Awesome fight, too. I would love to see that one. Uh, you know, Dan Hooker's been demolishing guys. And this is probably the biggest, uh, highest profile win of his career uh, tough to see Jim Miller go down like that. I mean, the guy has been fighting since the Civil War, uh, and, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think so. I, I think he's coming up on a decade in the UFC, which is crazy. That's that's almost like half as long as the UFC's been a thing. Uh, so, and he's not that old either. I think he's like. I think he's like my age. He's like 34, or 35, Jim Miller, but he's just one of these guys that's yeah, he's 34. Um, and, and in a really tough spot, too, because this is four losses in a row. Uh, he's lost six out of his last nine. So, damn, tough spot for Jim Miller. I mean, granted, a lot of them were decisions. He, he hasn't been knocked out uh, viciously like this. Uh, that I can remember since Donald Cerrone. Um, so I, I, wouldn't be so quick to, to say like Dan Miller, uh, sorry, Jim Miller needs to retire. Uh, I, I think he should probably take a take a good amount of time off. Um, like at least maybe six months and I don't think the UFC will cut him, but uh, any other thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Uh no, that's all I got. Just
1: super impressed with uh Dan Hooker's performance.
0: Okay. So only two more things I wanted to touch on here. Um uh so we've gotten really deep into this card. So one of the biggest controversies of the night, uh Ricky Simon and Marab Devalashvili, uh, who comes out of Matt Sarah's camp. So this was a fight in which uh I'm just gonna call him Marab. Marab was Fairly dominant. He easily won the first two rounds. And towards the end of the third round, he got careless with a takedown and he got caught in a really nasty mounted guillotine. It looked like he may have gone unconscious at one point and then kind of came to his face was turning purple. It looked like it was going to explode. Uh, he looked like the girl from Willy Wonka when she's turning into a blueberry. Uh, and he starts bicycling his legs, which I guess helped his blood flow, but he wanted to show that he was still moving. Fight ends, and he can't get up. He's basically unconscious on the ground, just is blue. So uh, the referee, Liam Kerrigan, goes and talks to the Athletic Commission, and it gets ruled a TKO because he wasn't able to get up at the end of the fight. So he never tapped out. And the referee did not call a stoppage due to him passing out from the submission, but he lost the TKO. And we didn't get to see what the scorecards look like. I have mixed feelings on this, Jeff, because we talked about this on the show before. I feel like if a guy is not able to get up and walk back to his corner or get up to have his hand raised immediately, then he probably doesn't deserve to win the fight. At the same time, it seems like they were not following any rules here, and they were just kind of making it up as they go. Um, I, I don't know if TKO is the right call. Uh, maybe it could be. I, I don't know. I don't know what it could be, but I I don't know which side of the fence to be on here. Uh, if you're a fan of of the Sarah Longo camp, then obviously you're really pissed off. But I think this raises a really important issue. And I think it's important to not just get pissed off and be on one side or the, or the other, because I think this is something that needs to be considered, Jeff, because we talked about it with the Sean O'Malley fight, uh, last month. I mean, he couldn't stand at the end of the third round, you know, if that had happened in between the second and third, and he wasn't able to walk back to his corner, <clears throat> you know, he would have been out of the fight. Um, I, I don't know what the call is here, Jeff. What was your initial reaction to this? And, and now that it's been 24 hours to kind of simmer, uh, what are you thinking about it now?
1: Yeah, Bill. So, um, you know, when it happened, I kind of thought it was the right call because Volishvili had, um, what do you call it? Was you know unresponsive? I know he didn't tap, but he was still not able to answer the bell. Essentially, yeah. And you know the way he was flailing his legs in um in jujitsu. You know we've talked about how we both train in jujitsu. To me, that was a tap. Um, you know they say if you can't tap with your hands, you tap with your feet. So you like stomp on the ground a little bit to let your opponent know that they got it. If you're hands are aren't able to tap and to me that looked like a tap dude um you know but i'm not the ref and you know he kept giving a thumbs up to say he was okay but like you said dude this guy was blue like almost purple like his eyes as soon as uh Simone let go of the guillotine his eyes rolled back in his head and the doctors had to rush in and kind of you know help him come to so i thought it was the right call um but i think that well let me let me put it this way i think it was the right call for the situation because he hadn't gone con he hadn't uh regained conscious consciousness right away and with the sean o'malley thing you know he was conscious he was still responsive so uh it's tough man um You know, and, you know, this is the first time we ever see this happen. So the first time something happens, you know, naturally, we don't know how to react to it right away. So I thought it was the right call in the situation.
0: Yeah, I, I am of the opinion that, uh, you know, this is supposed to be as close to a real life fight scenario as possible. So in real life, uh, if, if that choke is applied, the way it was to Marab, uh, you know, Ricky puts him unconscious on the street and then has his way with him, you know, if this were a street fight. I feel like there should be something in the rules, something like uh, an after the third round or an after the fifth round bell that you need to answer and respond to a doctor uh, before the fight can go to a decision. And I think it's a very simple rule change, but with the way MMA rules are and all the politics and red tape involved there. I think it'll be a while before we see a change, but I think this was a really important fight. And uh, again, I'm going to reiterate, it's important to not just get pissed off that this happened to a guy, but you know, what can we do to improve this within the rule set going forward? Because I think if you can't continue after the third round, like if there's like a sudden death round on the ultimate fighter or something like that, um, you know he wouldn't have been able to continue. Uh, y- you know, with just a minute to recover, uh, he was he was out, spread out on the floor for much longer than that, um, and it was confusing. I understand it could be infuriating if you're a fan of Marab or if you're a Marab's camp, but I think we got a. I think it's a really important issue that we have to really look at. Uh, the only other things I wanted to touch on briefly on this card: uh, CR Bahadur, Bahadur Rizada, Bahadur uh, knocked out Luan Chagas with a nasty kick to the body that just knocked the wind out of him. And uh, Corey Anderson with a dominant performance over Patrick Cummings. Uh, any thoughts on those two fights, Jeff?
1: Yeah, dude, the Bahadur Zada fight was awesome he i think he's the first ufc fighter out of iraq if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. and dude it was awesome seeing him fight uh he looked pretty calm in there pretty composed and that kick to the body was glorious man i love seeing knockouts off of body shots and as soon as it hit you saw luan chagas just bend over and you saw all the wind just come out of his lungs, and you knew it was over. And as for the Corey Anderson versus Patrick Cummins fight, um, I just I've never been impressed by Patrick Cummins. I don't know what it is about him, but he just uh,
0: I don't know, man. Maybe he it's do- the fact that he looks like an old time like circus strongman, <laughs> like <laughs> the guy with like the the. That would be there with like the big balloon dumbbell, <laughs> like with the big round balls on the end.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's, that's I, it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um a good performance by Corey Anderson. I mean, technically Patrick Cummings has more uh, wrestling credentials uh, than than Anderson. I believe he was an all-American more times than Corey Anderson was, and um and and he was and he did it at Penn State, which is you know, one of the top schools if you're a wrestler. Um, but yeah, you couldn't tell from that fight, uh, because Corey Anderson dominated the wrestling. And then, um, Sayyir Bahadur Zada is, uh, the first fighter from Afghanistan. But yeah, he's on a three fight win streak and, uh, he's got sessions. He's well rounded. He's strong. I'd like to see him get, you know, a top 15 guy next. Um, in that welterweight division, I, I feel like that's a division where he could, you know, sneak up the rankings there. I think he's a, a really solid, well rounded fighter. Uh, any other thoughts on this card here, Jeff?
1: Yeah, just overall, uh, really, really fun card. I think there was even a fight in the audience, which showed yeah. that, that they were, got into the spirit of things.
0: Good, Good girl, old man. Jersey, you can always count on <laughs> you can always count on uh, drunk New Jersey residents to for a good fist fight. Uh, yeah, we definitely can't condone that, that kind of behavior. And, um, it's definitely not surprising. Uh, I've been to, I've been to several events in New Jersey and I've been to UFCs all around the world, uh, including Japan. And I can definitely say that New Jersey has the worst <laughs> fans of anywhere, uh, for UFC that I've experienced, but Eh, I lived there for a little while, so I guess I got to claim some of that. Um, Yeah, so nothing else on this card. We got a little bit of a break. The next UFC is not until May 12th, and that is Amanda Nunez versus uh, Raquel Pennington, which uh, this is actually a really solid card, but we got plenty of time to break that down. Uh, And then there's a Bellator coming up pretty soon, I believe. The... Oh, okay, yeah, it's next weekend, so it's Fedor Emelianenko and uh, Frank Mir uh, on that card, and that is on April twenty eighth, which I believe is Saturday or maybe it's Friday. I don't know. I'm not good with numbers, Jeff, uh, but yeah, it looks like a pretty decent card there too. I'm, I might check that out if I have nothing better going on, but you know, I'm, I'm not going to cancel any plans for it. <laughs> You got anything else, Jeff? Or, uh, you know, can I throw this computer out the window? That's all I got for you this week, Bill. Awesome. If you want to get a hold of Jeff, you can do so at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's MMA on the rocks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, anywhere on the internet. Send me an email if you want, MMA on the rocks at gmail.com. Let me know what you guys are thinking and drinking out there. We love talking MMA and booze. And once again, check out Enjoy distillery here in florida and if you're on vacation in homosassa to visit the manatees go get yourself a drink all right until next time cheers everybody goodbye